Always a pleasure to say good morning to our science expert, Dan Riskin. Good morning, Dan Riskin. How are you doing? I'm okay. So uh, what time is it on the moon and why do we need to know? Well, that's a very good question. And a lot of people are kind of worked up about that because, uh, you know, there are going to be different people going to the moon and they have to schedule things so that they don't land in the same place at the same time and whatnot. This is a problem that they came up with for the International Space Station back in the day. And what they decided is, well, it's going around the world every 90 minutes so we could pick anywhere. So let's just pick the, the you know, the default, which is the, the Greenwich Mean Time. So let's just say that's the International Space Station's time. I would guess that for the moon, they're going to come up with the same thing. But the reason they can't just use the time on the moon is because if you're on the moon, the time between when the sun comes up and when the sun comes up, which is 24 hours on earth is 29 and a half days because the, the moon is locked to the earth and it goes around the earth once a month. And as it does that, the, the sun from the perspective of the moon goes around the sky once a month. And so you can't use where the sun is as any kind of a metric because ain't no astronauts going to live on the moon and stay awake for a month or half a month and then sleep for half a month. That's just not going to work. You know, 708 hours does not make for a good doesn't work for the 24 hour brain. So I, they, they are discussing this now. They're trying to come up with an agreement. I assume they're just going to do the same thing they did with the International Space Station, but they do need to figure it out quick because, I mean, there are plans for people to get up there in a spaceship in 2024 and at least go around it and uh, hopefully land as early as 2025. So uh, these are the the little details that uh, people love to work out. That's interesting because, I mean, I'm, I don't remember the outcome of these experiments, but I know at one point they did experiments where people were effectively blocked from understanding what time of day it was. So they ate when they wanted to eat, they slept when they wanted to sleep, and they ended up on a completely different schedule. Yeah, I can't remember if it's that people by default end up going to like a 23 hour time or a 25 hour time, but it's not exactly 24. And so, and, and that just points out the importance of getting the right light to your eyes at different parts of the day. People really work against themselves when they look at their phones before bed. And they and the best thing you can do in the morning to help you wake up is to get light on your eyes. I'm not saying pick up your phone first thing because that might not be good for your overall stress. But uh, if you have lots of light coming in the window, which you know happens in the summer, or if you can get lights on in your room, that can really help you stay awake. And, and making it dark as you go to bed really can help with your quality of sleep. So um, you know we're, we're biological organisms that evolved in a biological world and we live in this artificial light world full of LEDs. And so, um, you know, just because we can flick on a switch whenever we want or pull up a phone anytime we want doesn't necessarily mean that's the best thing for us. So I was watching a baseball game last weekend and I was reminded of a question I've had sort of on my mind for years now. And I thought, Dan Riskin can fix this. Um, they had eye black, you know, the black slashes underneath yeah. their eyes. Is there any science to support that? Is there any utility to it or is it a fetish? Yeah, I mean, what the, the latest work on this is showing is that it really helps with the peripheral light. So not necessarily what you're looking at, but a lot of the light that's coming from other places, it's reflecting off your cheeks. And so um, it's it's a fad. And I think for a lot of athletes, it's something that, uh, you know, in their heads, they have these routines. And I think that the the just the psychological effect of, of putting on basically war paint before you go out and play uh, can have a huge effect. But it does reduce some of the light that hits your eyes from, from peripheral sources. So... Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily going to change your game as much as the mental piece of it, but uh, if it works for you, go for it. Anything that works for an athlete, they should keep doing. Okay. Um, and while we're on the subject of black stripes, uh, apparently they've discovered that zebra stripes are actually quite effective. At what? 
Well, this is the cool thing. So, I mean, zebras have stripes and I've, you know, everybody knows that that has something to do with lions chasing them, right? It's that, you know, there's a whole bunch of zebras and if a lion's going after them, then the zebras all run in different directions and the stripes make it so confusing. Where does one zebra begin and where does the other one end? And this has been the armchair biology expert explanation for why stripes are on zebras forever. And everybody just knew it, but then they started testing it and there was no evidence for it. And they couldn't get lions to mess up. Like lions can perfectly well tell where one zebra ends and where another one begins and so that wasn't it but what they did find is that horse flies don't land on zebras as often as they land on horses and they were like what and so then they put coats on horses that are like zebra painted and it worked it kept the horse flies off and so horse flies are a huge problem not only are they annoying but they can spread all kinds of diseases and so being able to repel biting insects is a great evolutionary uh pressure and could totally explain why they have stripes and so there's been this iterative research that's been happening in the last decade or so that's not even decade just in the last five six years that's been trying to figure out what really the stripes are for insects and how would that even work and so this latest study was trying to figure out is it the thinness of the stripes is it the contrast is it the the polarized light that comes off of different parts of the zebra so they put all these they made a bunch of very fancy coats for horses <laughs> and put them on and measured counted how many flies could land on these horses and what they found is that the the flies are looking for a big dark outline that stands out that they can land on and if they don't find that big dark outline then they don't land on it and so i predict that we're all going to be you know when we go canoeing in the adirondacks or whatever it's going to be wearing these outrageous just 1980s themed Duran Duran sort of zebra striped cool jackets because it'll reduce the number of flies that land on us because it works for zebras. One question is why don't more animals have stripes? But uh, for now, it really looks like it's just that the the black flies are looking for a big old horse, dark horse thing to land on. And when they come across the stripes, they just cannot figure out what's going on. Yeah, I am so not ready to bring back anything from the 80s, I have to tell you. (laughs) If it stops flies from biting you, I think it might be worth it. It just might be, you know, because they're hungry like the wolf, John. Uh, Dan Riskin, thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Dan Riskin is our science expert.